following program may contain coarse language, suggested dialogue, and discussion of violent imagery and sexual situations. It is intended for mature listeners who can tell the difference between facts and opinions. It's Primal's fiery finish on this episode of the Toonami Faithful Podcast. I am your host, Sketch, and with me I have... Both colossally excited and sad, Happy Kuro Kitty. And we have a couple of guests. I'm uh, Rami Asha, giving my best Primal screen. Roar! To celebrate the Stanley Primal. Bravo, bravo. My name is Sam, and I think I can do a little bit better. Ah! Okay. Ooh, nicely done. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that was <laughs> Nice. All I got <laughs> in me is some coughs. <laughs> yeah, don't. Kuro, don't do that. You're trying to save your voice. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I shouldn't really be doing that myself, so. Kuro has a little bit of a uh, cold going on. Sorry, folks. I sound a little grady. So, last time we talked about Primal, we covered six episodes of the second season, and now we are covering the final four, which is made up of a three-parter and the finale, which all kind of roll together because it is a continuous story. For four episodes, so much happened. Wow. That was a lot. It was so good. It was so good. Yeah. When I got to the end of uh, the second part, I was like, oh, yeah, you need a third episode for this. Yeah. (laughs) No no way we're wrapping this up. The Colosseus refers to this giant warship that they're on during the three-parter, but it really is such a huge event because like it really opens up the world we see so many different cultures in all these lands that they go to conquer and fight in and it's really crazy like we have all like sorts of cultures based on like you know uh babylonians and like greeks and all that stuff and it's like crazy. absolutely i I love that 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 connection drew between the Colosseus, the title, the ship, and how the expansion of the world was through the storyline. That's that's pretty apt description, I would say. Right. And it's crazy how we already came from season one, where we spent all that time on just this one island, which it's like, I mean, there were so many <laughs> different types of creatures on that island, so it felt like a big place. But like when you go on your world and you're like seeing, wow, there are all sorts of different civilizations and cultures here it's that it really opens up the potential that they could like explore even more of this world and what we see like we really see the most of it in the second part of the three-parter where we just have the montage of them fighting in the different places but it is really really cool to see all these different inspiration being brought into the show yeah and i think a lot of that can be attributed to like real world history and all that they probably did take a look at like old history books and kind of went through all that 
to kind of make it seem a little bit more realistic than what it would be like with a fictional series. I mean, it's still fiction, right? But the way that everything kind of flows together with its story from the first part to the finale is that there's a lot that they want to tell you in that short amount of time. And yeah. I think that what they were trying to do, they succeeded gratefully because yeah. the range of emotions that I felt watching all three parts back to back over the course of three weeks is probably the most satisfying television I've ever watched. Oh yeah. And just engaging falling edge of your seat, like suspension tension of like, Oh man, I hope that these characters I like will be okay. And like yeah. getting uh, like, I was really animated watching these episodes. Like I got really upset, really invested. There is a um, point in the, second episode where I got so worked up like the Lord could hear me screaming from downstairs and he like called <laughs> me to like be like is everything okay and I like saying no I'm just really upset about what's happening in Primal right now and he was like oh I, I thought with how you were acting so there was broken wrong. into the house but there is something oh, wrong. that mad and I was so wrong. mad at the queen uh, in, in the gosh yeah I I had oh, some foul words for her several times while I was watching. Hey, this. Look, we all appreciate a bad bitch around here, but oh, she yeah. is she is too but bad a bitch. Her yeah. cruelty was just so enraging. Like the scene I'm talking about is like when they land at the village, it is just open like welcoming them it's like just completely peacefully and they are like offering them all these all this food and they're like just completely nonviolent and completely like, hey, you know, you can take this stuff. You know, we're offering it to you, you know, just we we are just trying to establish a relationship with peace. But the queen is like, she walks back in her boat and she tells Kamau basically to go and kill all these people. Yeah, it's just the cruelty yeah, of it. That was like, heartbreaking. Like Kamau like brings the food to her and it's like, hey, they're giving this to us. Why do we need to do this? And she's like, no, go do it. And then you just see this Kamau just try to like numb himself as he has to go commit just this massacre on just these like peaceful nonviolent uh villagers and just slaughter yeah. them it's just oh, heartbreaking and, and just so amazing like uh, smashed a lot and, of tomatoes and also bones just did it for the sake of cruelty and it's just so yeah i just really really grew to despise that character which makes her such an effective villain yeah i think that we get invested because sorry go ahead sam no uh, i i i she makes a great foil she says she's a great villain uh for the series and i think that's like the series never really had an overarching antagonist i guess you could always say like in the first season it was survival and the nature of it all but season two felt more like hey we're the enemy here are the vikings or this mm -hmm. queen over here. And the queen kind of felt more like the threat compared to the Vikings. Until the final episode. I feel like overarching, I guess you would say the chieftain was like the the villain. But like for like kind of the penultimate like arc, it was definitely this queen. She felt like a bigger threat in the overall world. Like the Vikings, you know, they were conquering and enslaving other people, but the scale to which the queen was doing that 
was just like just on a whole other level where he was just massacring entire civilizations around the world so it's like <laughs> i think they they really took down a huge colonial power in destroying yeah. the queen's empire yeah those vikings I, yeah. were uh, kind of small time in comparison yeah they had like i would like village. to make a point about storytelling here and first of all none of these things historically would have ever existed at the same time but right. you're right. able to suspend your disbelief because of the way the story is told you're just so invested in the action and the outcome of the characters that you're able to just put that aside and recognize like okay we know this isn't real but this is this is a world we're willing to dive into and second i think that the impact and and the investment you have in the latter part of season two with fang and her eggs and her young and 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 following these characters together in this new family they formed is so much more heavy than it would be if we hadn't seen season one because in season one we see the characters bond and we see how how they form this team and so we care because we watched them all through their previous struggles. So this part of the story could only have been told after all of their adventures from season one and even the first part of season two. And that that buildup of that buildup of impact, that buildup of, of you're invested in the characters is like just really speaks to how brilliant Tartakovsky put together this story and to make you to make you yeah. care. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 100% to that. And he did that with all, without saying a single line. No mm. dialogue. Yeah. Season, yeah. Episode, season two. But discounting that, um, he told this entire story with just grunts, screams, and just music. And that attention to detail kind of tells how brilliant of a storyteller he is. He yep. can basically tell this story from, from act one to act three without saying a single line. He can show you emotions and characters just by the body language of it all, just by the, you know, just by the way that they act, by the way that they grunt, by the way that they interact with each other on screen. It's just brilliant all the way through. And through, that, through the end of season two, it, it continued to be that way. And even if there is dialogue in the show, it is pretty much unintelligible. You, if you know it's only smart. English, yeah. But it, it's it's just brilliant from from uh, my point of view for somebody who loves animation. It's just the fact that Gendy Tartakovsky was able to just tell this story without saying a single line. So you can just tell this tale with these two drawings, and this those two drawings can have such a wide range of emotions that can make you feel a lot a lot more than what you would typically feel normally and that's amazing yeah i mean it is a true masterpiece of visual storytelling and it shows like his eagerness and like willingness to want to like experiment and push animation as a medium i think that's what he really wanted to do with the show i mean in his end entertaining weekly interview that I recently put out. He's basically saying just that as like the show was like a way for him to explore him just kind of this type of raw type of action 
yeah. a spear that he had not been able to do before because you know spear has no technique he is just like completely fighting wild and what kind of crazy fights could he come up with that he could come up with like these creatures and then kind of choreography to Samurai yeah. jack yeah absolutely. yeah and that's yeah samurai jack was all about like kurosawa samurai movies and then other action shows and conan the barbarian mm -hmm. primal is very much conan the barbarian and pulp fiction type stories all the way yeah. through absolutely just the way that it's directed and it's like the direction is beautiful it's wonderful the action in every episode that it has it is just masterfully done you can definitely tell that gindy tartakovsky over his 20 years in the animation industry he has perfected his method of storytelling and that's just incredible to see because when you start from like maybe his early days when he's made dexter's lab you know you saw some of that but it has evolved so much that he is drastically a very different person than when he first started out. Yeah. You know, I, I, he introduced this alternative point of view in this, this season too, that I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure that I was, I wanted to see, but it actually was integrated pretty seamlessly into the story. Like you see the other, the other slave, I think his name is Amal. Kamal, I think, is Kamal. the name Kamal? of the credits. Yeah. So. Okay. So, so the other slave, and then the the car even even the the Viking perspective. Like, you're given you're given a sort of sympathetic look into. It's not so straightforward who's the enemy, and yet they are very clearly Fang and Spear's enemy at varying points. But you get to see from their perspective what happens to them, and I I I did end up actually enjoying that. It made for an interesting twist that that like just getting right down to it that every every creature that he's introduced is following their own primal urge to survive to seek vengeance to protect their loved ones and all this other stuff and so that that it isn't just affected by our main protagonist but it's affected it affects all the characters and yeah. i i i ended up enjoying that aspect of it as well yeah, I really got invested in Kamau. I mean, he was in the same boat as Spear and Fang. The book really, in all really? terms of the situation. <laughs> because Kamau also was basically being uh, forced to fight because his child was basically being kept hostage. And her life was being placed under tread if he did not comply with the Queen's wishes. Yeah, Queen so. Eva's, her, uh, her, her, her go-to move is to... Uh, Kidnap children. Yeah. <laughs> Kidnap children as hostages. Yeah, basically. So what I appreciate, like, Kamau was, like, kind of afraid to kind of fight back against the queen because he was afraid of what would happen to his daughter. And ultimately, though, he just did form a sense of respect and camaraderie with Spear and Fang, like, fighting together in those battles. And then also seeing them, like, kind of rise up in rebellion, try and fight back against the queen. And ultimately, he couldn't bring himself to keep going along under her and execute Fang, uh, who, like, he saw very much as being in the same position as himself, as, you know, someone uh, captured, forced to fight to protect her children. And so, yeah, it was a great moment when he, like, 
swings the axe down but frees Fang and then swings it towards the queen and then basically rescues his daughter and fights Fang. All hell, hell, all hell breaks loose. <laughs> uh, my, the most satisfying moment is like when he gets down to like kind of the bottom of the ship and sees his people like who have been forced to you know row this boat this whole time and then you know he's fighting off all the guards and he inspires his people to also start fighting back and they fight back and they basically take over the ship and it's just a really satisfying moment of just like these characters who have been oppressed rising together in solidarity just through uh, inspiring sample of someone like standing up to uh, these oppressors and you know winning back their freedom together and that was such a really satisfying thing and I think that yeah it was really a really a satisfying arc for that character and also the relationship between Sear Fang and him and how they inspired him and he inspired others it's a good yeah. segue sketch into recap time I think don't you Oh, it almost feels kind of weird to do. <laughs> but I do want to mention, uh, with regards to rising up at the end there and how that's happening alongside the moment where Fear and Fang and Mira and the babies are, are trying to get away from the boat. Yeah, the but tension I mean, there. should have yeah. swam another direction. Right. I mean, that's what I was thinking. Is like yeah. they, Maybe it's because of the current. Like, they were being yeah, pulled the current, in that direction. Pulling them in, yeah. Yeah, that's what uh, I was thinking. At the beginning like... of episode three, <laughs> at the beginning of episode three, because episode two ends with Kamau looking at them getting captured, or they're about to get captured. Yeah, the queen because, gives him like a look of like, "Hey, you're gonna have to help us with this." And yeah. so, and then episode yeah. three opens up, and you see the boat, and and you see the rowing. Mm-hmm. They're spending all this time on the rowing, and I thought. It's kind of weird that they're spending all this time on the rowing, don't you think? But then, when you get to the point where you see the connection with the rowing, it's like, oh, okay, I understand why they did that now. I I, under, I understand the point of that scene. It is such great tension building and just ways to kind of like establish like this important situation that will come into the play at the end of the episode. So, yeah. Just yeah. such great storytelling. So uh, the the <laughs> the recap, as it were. <laughs> yeah, and let's do in it. Part, in part one, in part one, the chieftain succumbs to his wounds, and you have this moment where he's seeing the Valkyries come from the sky, and then, huh, psych! <laughs> You're getting dragged down to. Make a deal with a demonic entity so that mm-hmm. you can try to get yeah. your son's soul. Yeah. Muspelheim, the, uh, the Viking world of fire. Mm. Yeah. And I and... did not just get that from playing Gods of War, thank you very much. <laughs> 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 I promise. Well, the, the chieftain more or less agrees to be transformed into a monster of judgment. Yeah. A, a One... fiery man quite quite large yeah it's this big fire demon creature one thing i i was trying to read in that scene is like why the basically god of revenge or whatever wanted 
him to track down Spear and Fang. I mean, I, I, I mean, we kind of see it or like the devil or like this manifestation of the god yeah, of his revenge. Like, is this the Vidar that they talk about? So much? Right. And like he also, because he doesn't finish the job technically, because he shows him Spear and Fang, but ultimately the chieftain only gets Spear. So, like, why did he drag him back prematurely when he still probably could have fought and taken Fang out too? But so my, my understanding I also, was, I also feel go, like, but go back. Oh, I'm go sorry. On, go but, sorry, no, uh, no, go on. There's also the moment though where you're showing him his son, like in the lava, like underneath him. And I was thinking, well, is he forcing the chieftain to like fight uh, and get revenge, like in exchange for relinquishing his son's soul? Because like his son is trapped here in like this land of fire in hell, basically. And so, in exchange for like his soul, and then him getting going out and killing. Yeah. Spear is he gonna free his son? Kind of, uh, yeah. <laughs> makes it it makes it so you can interpret it however you want, I suppose. Yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, the mythology of, of well, in in this case, what they're choosing to to put into the storyline of of these of these characters is that having a good death and having and having a warrior's way is essential to their spirituality. And there's that part in episode six, right before they attack when Fang is just about to lay her eggs, where the character is sitting and staring into the fire and his his hatred manifests itself through this summoning this demon up. And I think that's what alerts him to it. So when he's at the verge, at the verge of being taken by the Valkyries to this eternal like, you know, peace for, okay, you've been a good, you've been a good warrior, you fought a good life. Because he his his own vengeance and hatred had summoned this demon previously, it's like, well, you have unfinished business. No, that's not that's not going to cut it. You gotta you gotta continue with this mission. And so, and then it then using this taking his son's host his soul hostage to 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 force him into this servitude. That was that was the impression I got. Yeah, but why did the son's soul end up down there to begin with? Because you would think yeah. that he would have been brought to Valhalla. Right. See, this why is why you have to be careful with anything. There is always a price. There's always yeah. a price. You don't know what you're inviting into yourself by like summoning that level of like vitriol into your life. That said, I do love a good revenge story, so Let's keep mm -hmm. up with that stuff, yeah. <laughs> Getting a revenge story here. Yeah. The one that is a slow burn, as it were. Yeah. We oh, basically nice. see him walking well, in the next two parts till the finale. Yeah. Well, there. He, uh, like the this, this one scene is, is literally all we get of him in this episode. Mm -hmm. And then as the episodes progress, we see him. We have one scene of surface, him <laughs> every episode. Rise up to the surface, <laughs> scorch the earth underneath him, and start walking onto the water yeah <laughs> the third episode is him like walking on the sea following the trail of spear and fangs boat kamal's like, like oh shit please don't let this be my problem <laughs> yeah i was so worried at the end of the third episode that he was walking yeah, towards kamal's yeah, boat I was, and i was like no please just let these people live in peace but no i think thankfully he was he was walking uh, was a, a different direction bad. he's walking <laughs> forward so he was, he was going to a different uh, objective. Different target, yeah. Yeah. So when we last left 
Spear, Fang, and Mira, and the eggs, they had gotten onto a boat. They had fought off the chieftain and his son one last time. And they're now out on a boat. And things seem to be going well until a gigantic, colossal, if you will, <laughs> ship sends a fairly decent-sized ship out with a whole bunch of warriors, including Kabao, this really, really big, tough guy who is a match to take on Spear and Fang. And, you know, the in the, in the heat of the battle, you're probably thinking, oh, I hope nothing happens to those eggs. Oh, my God. And, yeah, well, inevitably, even though Fang is trying her best to protect her babies, she gets punched in the face when she had three of them in her mouth and one of the eggs flies out of her mouth and... Ugh, crack. That was brutal. Oh, oh I gasped. I was I was shook with seeing that moment. Just seeing like the it was awful. Like, the fetus come out of the egg. It's just the blood and yolk. And I like, was so oh. angry. I was so upset. So yeah, I, I, I legit. It was heartbreaking. Yeah. yeah, it was wretching. But things get worse from there because. They end up losing the eggs when they are captured by this queen, Ima. And she takes them as hostage and forces them to go along with her to her Colosseus. This gigantic boat. And they are then forced to work for her the same way that Kambao is. In that they are... Uh, basically slave mercenaries the task of aiding in any battle that she chooses to have and she chooses to have a lot of battles starting in Babylonia where she uh, initially lets the king live only to later kill him after dancing very seductively <laughs> Yeah. At least she took the kitty. Like, yeah. <sighs> she did take the kitty. It was kind of a heartbreaking moment where she took the kitty from like that king and like and then he like she ordered that her guards like stab him this violently yeah. through the chest. She, she likes babies. Right? Hey. Yeah. And a lot of times survived and, and that was important. Well uh, I well, mean I don't know if we know. I don't it know if survived. it survived later, but it survived. <laughs> we, don't, we kind of don't see it after the second. It survived long enough to get big. <laughs> yeah, no, that's the thing. A lot of time must have passed for that like little leopard to grow up. It uh, just takes a few months for kitties to okay. grow up. So, yeah. Yeah, still that's a lot Which of time. Which makes it worse, because if you think about like a few months of Fang being separated from her eggs and then yeah. them all having to be forced to fight. Uh yeah, and then Kamal separated from his daughter. Mm -hmm. I'm surprised like, the egg survived, like not just on the row and like not being is, like warmed that, up. I I don't buy it. Yeah, <laughs> not being incubated properly. No, so it's, that was kind of. I mean, I'm glad that they they were hatched safely. But it was like plot oh, armor. Wow. 
That's yeah. plot armor. Oh. Well, that was her oh, only too bad leverage. The third one didn't have it. Yeah. Oh. It was her oh. only leverage. If she hadn't had somehow protected those eggs, uh, Fang, Fang and Scooter would have been like, "Fuck you." Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. They would have been like, fuck you, bitch. I don't even care anymore. We're right. killing everything. Because, <laughs> like, just the the fact that her eggs were in danger was the only reason that kept Fang in that cage. Because we saw later, she broke out of that mm-hmm. easily. She just slammed against it and walked out. So it's like, yeah. It, oh, the eggs that stupid left. guard. Yeah. <laughs> she ate a lot of guards oh, during geez. her time there. Like every time they tried to feed her. Eventually the point where they just like threw the steaks in the cell without opening the door. I actually thought part two was the hardest for me to watch. Yeah. Um, that was well, that was a really difficult that one. Yeah, for the same they, mentioned before. They did an interesting they made an interesting choice here. I think you could definitely say it was cutting corners, but at the same time, it was it was a thematic choice. I feel mm-hmm. they literally reused the same movements and animation for multiple areas just to show how mundane the fighting was. Yeah, nope. yeah. Just the really same adults from a couple dollars. There was some um, heavy symbolism of that after battle sequence where they're all laden with arrows and they soak in the pool and it just turns red with blood. Yeah. Um, it really codifies that sense of defeatism that their current enslaved situation has has put them in. Yeah. I mean, the purpose of like throwing them in front lines of these battles is also to wear them down into just being complacent with the situation too. So. This clearly happened to come out. Yeah, Mal's like basically given up. It was a rough sequence. Out. It was a rough mm-hmm. sequence. But Sears is just biding his time. Yeah, he he doesn't give up. He takes his opportunity when he sees it to get out there. Sears is just uh, trying to convince him, hey, this this is the moment. And Kamal's like, no. I can't do yeah. it. Yeah. Fang's raring to go. It was like, no, I can't, I can't sneak around with a dinosaur, okay? <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can't be sneaky with a dinosaur. We've established this. <laughs> what are you sneaky? Mm-hmm. And he he manages to to get the eggs, get Mira, and so this is when the Babylonian king gets dead. Yeah, a, because a, a, he smirked when Mira didn't moment. dance for the queen. I like that. So yeah. She did this elaborate, provocative dance to like get the king to lower his guard before like just kicking him uh, out like the platform so he'd fall to his debt. And that's also just a power move to show Mira, yo, you don't listen to me, you insult me, that's gonna happen to you. So also, really, just flaunting your power. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also showing her. Yeah, yeah this is what you gotta do. You do this. <laughs> and this is the first moment. When she's fighting Spear, where you're like, oh, crap, she's actually a really good fighter. This is a problem. Yeah. Yeah. No wonder all these guys listen to what she wants. Yeah. She is no pushover. Her hubris got the best of her by the final episode of that. Yeah. She's no match for Kamau and his people they're just too big and they're really sturdy so like her, her arrows her uh little blades they aren't doing much to them 
So really, all they needed to do is like pick her up and throw her off the boat. I feel like arrows oh, don't do any damage in this in this show. I mean, like, Kamau gets like a hit by an arrow by Mira in the neck in the the first part, and like he just takes it out, and it's like. His, his body, he is just super sturdy. His body is just insanely resilient, even more so than Spear Fang, who take like so yeah. much abuse. But like, yeah, this guy, he's, 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 he's a, got a yeah, body of steel. Thick skin guy. Yeah. <laughs> but as we see at the start of part three, he is also a very gentle man, or at mm. least he was. Mm-hmm. His, his tribe was uh, very peaceful, agriculture based. Gentle giants. Uh, his daughter was about to kill a spider. He's like, no, 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 no. We don't have to. We don't have to harm her. Just we catch don't do it that here. Let it go. Mm-hmm. And then their village gets invaded, and he's forced to fight for the queen from then on. Just ugh. disgusting. Mm-hmm. It's, and that was like the moment in his like head where he just was like, "Enough's enough." He the axe goes down, he frees uh, Fang, and he throws the axe directly at uh, the queen. And that was just yeah. like so sad to see. Just like that. Was. Three, oh my three God. episodes. Just the tension that scene. Yeah. Like what happens to these characters, and they just go full on. You know what? Fuck it. Mutiny. Mutiny on the ship. Let's go. It was also awesome, like, the moment, like, where the queen, you know, she grabs his child, like, yeah. right after. But then he's, like, kind of looks in a panic, but he realizes, oh, I'll just, like, step on the platform, and it's just, like, sends the queen flying, and he just grabs his daughter yeah. and just runs. She was vicious. She was taking no prisoners. Like, she was ready to spear mm-hmm. through Fang, and then the and when the arrow went in, to the hatchling, I was just like, oh no, oh no, oh no, fuck, fuck, yeah. fuck. Like, this you is... can't hurt those babies. They've been through a lot to get here. You can't hurt the babies. It's painful whales were so distressing and heartbreaking. It's like, oh no. Yeah. Uh, it seemed to get over it pretty fast after they jumped off the boat, but like, but still. Also, like how quickly Mira and, and Spear rally to protect her young. Like, yeah. they're so invested in protecting this family unit. They care and they're ready to, to to do what it takes to keep the hatchlings safe. I love that so much because, like, I cared too. I mean, they're little killers, but there are little killers. We got to protect them. We got to make sure. Yeah. They're okay. Yeah, they might have saved the fight if the babies weren't in danger. But like seeing that, oh no, these are vulnerable. We can't like stay here. That's just going to keep them at risk. That's when they decide. Okay, we got to get off this boat. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. Not before a spear literally yanks his chain that is chained to the. That was a great. He's very like he uses it as a weapon, stone block, and yeah, he just throws it around and just bashes. Has a lot of guards in with it. That's my favorite innovative weaponry of his. I think mm -hmm. I think of all the different creative creative weapons he uses, that one is definitely in the top two. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It just kind of shows how strong Spear is as a character that he's able to just lift up this just heavy ass cylinder block that's holding him down and just wing it around like it, it's fucking nothing. And it's, it's just amazing to see. Yeah. 
stuff. So now they're in the water and they're getting awfully close to the big, big boat as yeah. the current's pulling them in. The oars. As, mm-hmm. as luck may have it, uh, Kamau has entered lower into the boat and has found his brethren all <laughs> rowing the boats and starts beating up the guards in that room. And that's when the uprising begins. Just in time so that our other characters do not get crushed under the boat. Yeah, that yep. allows them to invade the side boat that is also like rowing on one side of the main boat, and then just Spear goes in there and just kills all the guards and then frees all the the, the enslaved people in there. And I think they just run out of the boat in horror because they don't know what Spear is all about. I don't know where they're going, like swimming in the ocean, but they're free now. And then Spear, Fang, and Mira, they got their a new boat for themselves, which is great. Yeah, they got their own little boat, and soon they'll get some provisions. <laughs> <laughs> the queen is finally put out of our misery. <laughs> yeah. Well, she was so great as a villain. You yeah. really disliked her completely. And and she was ruthless. Completely yeah. ruthless. Not just in holding the young hostage, but also like how she managed to keep everybody in her thrall and how she was just brutal with how with, with making war and killing like like it seemed really senseless you didn't get a you didn't get any sense of what the purpose was other than just sheer domination so she yeah, just, yeah. She didn't want king just pure carnage and it's very yes. karmic that she 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 died uh, in the same way she killed another person like by being thrown off a very high place yeah ain't nobody that. ain't nobody was sad about that no it's like pretty brutal like seeing her like just crushed body when it crashes into spear and fangs boat and we see I definitely like, threw up oh. a finger gesture to go with that one yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's all mangled we see that like her like broken falls like yeah like, yeah. Kids, and the kids are like dinner dinner <laughs> kids eat free yeah <laughs> not a satisfying that was really entertaining and uh earlier when Fang eat it, eat something, and then the babies are like, "Oh!" <laughs> they and see what they learn. Guards. <laughs> Just uh, not feeling sad about that loss of human life. What can I say? No. <laughs> no. Er, Colonies conquerors enslaved people, so uh, no sympathies. <laughs> yeah. So right about now, they're uh, spear. Mira, Fang, and the babies are off on their smaller boats, furthering their journey. And in the distance around the Colosseus, you see the chieftain in his fiery monster form in the distance. He's, going... he's walking on water. Yeah. Like, he is yeah. like, How does that work? Water. <laughs> mm-hmm. Shouldn't he just like fall into the water? And not be on I fire mean, anymore. Uh, this is demonic power. Oh, I guess a lot of the walk on water. Yes. Like I'm sorry, I can't transport you to where they are. You're gonna have to walk there yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. I could use the exercise. <laughs> so it brings us to the final episode, Echoes of Eternity, which opens up with Spear dreaming of his childhood. 
when his father was killed by some beasts and he had to become the new elder. Mm-hmm. Saber tooted cats. I'm sure you were very happy to see that, Kuro. I yeah. mean, the cats are just trying to live too, yo. I get it. Yeah. Every, everybody has their motivation. I, I, I couldn't really uh, not, not, you know, root for them, but I get it. <laughs> Yeah. Like that new movie Beast, I'm like, it's a lion. Mm-hmm. What do you want me to do, people? Come on. <laughs> right. Lion or Idris Elba. Lion, you know, lion, I, I lion, know Idris who Elba. I said Yeah. <laughs> but I think it was super interesting, like, seeing that Spear among his group seemingly had more softer features than the rest of his pack. Like, the, yes. Like, his father had, like, kind of these, like, black, red eyes, and he looked more of a traditional Neanderthal. Yeah. yeah, he had more, he had closer to more, like, prime, like, uh, uh, um, and I don't want to say ape-like, but maybe maybe a bit more ape-like features. Yeah. And then you yeah. see his son is, it has closer to, you know, to more human-like. modern human features. Mm-hmm. Like, he's more of an, a step forward between Neanderthal and... Which is interestingly juxtaposed to the fact that Spear now seems to be like the oldest living Neanderthal. Yeah, it seems seems to imply that he's like the last of his kind. I think so. Well, well, here an interesting like fact, you know, aside from the fiction, is that there is evidence that there was interbreeding between Neanderthals and homo sapiens and i think mm-hmm. yeah. i don't know what the, the statistic is it's either two percent of all humans or two percent of all dna has neanderthal in it i can't remember which it is but there is some well, there is some evidence of that and it is kind of fascinating to think like you know what where where that that interbreeding might have happened in history millions of years ago we certainly see an example in the show at the end of the series here ah uh, yeah we do <laughs> Well, we'll get to that. I again, I would have liked to see what what his mother looked like because mm-hmm. who knows? Maybe she was from a different tribe. Yeah, that's probably pretty likely, actually. Uh, so he, at a very young age, he proves he's he's quite strong, able to smash skulls in with a rock. You know, considering all of that, why do you go with spear? He could have gone with rock. Mira wakes Spear and they have arrived at last at her homeland which I'm sure a lot of us were thinking that was the ending destination of this journey and Mm -hmm. sure enough that that is it however at least initially it looks like they're all gone all, all of her tribe has, has been wiped out. And she's very mournful for that for a moment. Then realizes, well, this is still a nice place to be. So, oh, I'm so I think that here. coming back to the place that he was kidnapped also brought back that traumatic memory. Yeah. Of when she was like taken. Oh, so, like man. seeing that tree and then remembering that night and just the, the horror of it. Yeah. That was like. That was hard to watch. Yeah, and they, we, it's like her one friend made it out of that night, but like for those other two, 
I don't think we see them again, so they were probably slaughtered, like her former lover, especially. And then the, it was the horrifying moment, though. So, like, yeah, when she's trying to fight back, she was like. That had a former lover that was slaughtered. Yeah. And then it was just a horrifying moment, just like when she was being choked, and then we, like, had lightning flash cut to, like, her being branded with the, like, scorpion sun symbol on her back of her head. And yeah, just. What a, just a horrifying, traumatic experience that, yeah, well, she's at least back home, so. Yeah, it's just a sweet moment of, like, spear comforting Mira. Yeah. So. Then the next day, they go on a little exploration, and Fang finds some woman bathing in uh, in a cave. Yeah, this is clearly not for children. <laughs> you have figured that out by now. <laughs> bang, bang, she might be a snack. A hot dish, if you will, but don't, <laughs> don't, eat, don't eat her. I, that's good. <laughs> Turns out that this woman was uh, one of Mira's friends, so they were very happy to reunite. And Mira was <laughs> like, please, bang, bang, bang. My friend, bang, my friend, please. Yeah. <laughs> no, no Edie, no fighty. <laughs> the woman's like just freaked out by Fang and then also gets freaked out when Spear comes in holding her babies. Yeah. Which I think was a cute scene before, like before Fang ventured out of the cave, she like kind of nuzzles her kids with Spear just trust. Oh, I love <laughs> it. Kids with I was so best. <laughs> uh, there was a cuter scene. Uh, there was also a cute scene earlier in the episode where like the babies were like trying to get out of the boat and like one of the yeah. babies like kept falling oh, into the, the ocean. Oh, the little boy's really dumb. He's yeah. a tough boy, but he's so cute. He's like, nope. Nope. Yeah. nope. I love it when they use cat-like imagery <laughs> when they have, when they imitate the uh, dinosaurs, that they animate dinosaurs like with like, a lot of cat-like features and that that where she's she's grabbing her young out of the water like it's such a cat-like thing to do i loved it so much oh my gosh it was so cute it was so cute i needed more of those <laughs> yeah so mira then uh takes him to well mira's friend takes him to where where the village is now and naturally the villagers are uh, uh, very frightened at, at the Neanderthal, the baby dinosaurs, and especially the full-grown dinosaur. But they uh, only have a moment of fight or flight before Mira recognizes the village elder, and, or rather the village elder recognizes Mira, and they're able to conversation mm -hmm. explain the situation friends and then it's party time yeah. mm -hmm. they have they have a party a celebration that mira has returned and at at one point they're showing reverence to their moon god and fear's kind of like uh I don't, I don't i don't get this and then yeah, we, Anna wanders off on his, and his own to, yeah. He goes where his people are. Yeah. He stays his little family. He goes back to his, his dinos, his dino family. Mm -hmm. 
So Mira invites him into their own uh, rock hut of sorts, which Spear gets into, and he sees there's like some pillows on the ground. He's like, "All right, this wall seems nice and sturdy." <laughs> I was used to sleeping, just like kind of curled up on against the wall. Like, oh, scared. this is where we're staying. Smash! <laughs> I love that. How there's a dino door. <laughs> She's and gonna she on the sides of the pillows. Oh, okay then. <laughs> it's a total cat thing, see? But she's gonna go where he goes. That's the best part. She's like, this is your home. Yeah. And, and Fang's like, okay, this is our home. <laughs> <laughs> and the babies are like, okay. <laughs> I loved it. Oh my gosh. You can tell that Spear feels out of his element. He feels alienated by this new situation and he's not really sure what to do. Yeah, he he's lonely. To express himself. He wanted to leave some kind of proof that he lived. So he makes a cave drawing telling his whole story. Which is beautiful and poetic. It is. Mm-hmm. He makes it out of mud and blood. Yeah. Which you can see the scratches on his like uh, hands. And when Mira goes to the ch- check in on him. Well, remember, it it really harkens back to what was it, the first or second episode of season one, where they show the cave with all the handprints and just that need for living things to express themselves in some artistic way. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that that it was it was really it really kind of emphasizes how lonely he must have felt and and how this journey has affected him that he he felt the need to to express himself this way and i i I thought that that was a nice touch nice touch for for the for the finale of the series just very telling that he like at the end of the story he draws himself standing alone like yeah mira and fang are kids all standing together like next to a village with like like Spear is standing quite a bit away from them, so it kind of communicates this sense that he's still feeling like alone, that he's still not really found like his place, which is really yeah. sad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Mira looks at these drawings and is filled with so much emotion. Mm-hmm. You can really feel like she's understanding his pain. Yes. Mm-hmm. And the next day, apparently somebody didn't get the memo that there's a dinosaur in town. (laughs) (laughs) Who forgot to tell that guy? (laughs) I I think it's the same uh, person, Amara, like her friend, who's grieving at the sight of Fang again. (laughs) Coming up. Oh, that was a guy. That was a a guy. Okay. I even thought they might have been voiced by Phil Lamar because it kind of sounded like it, but I don't think it actually. No, it might have been. But uh, yeah. So, but then there's something to really be afraid of, as uh, coming in the distance, the fiery chieftain has finally arrived to bring their fiery vengeance. Yeah. Uh, how do you defeat a fire monster? <laughs> Uh, that was the rival handbook. <laughs> is that you also get yourself set on fire and then just throw yourself off a, off a cliff oh, with him? Oh, that was brutal. Yep. Yeah. 
the the way Gendy describes his reasoning here uh, in in that interview he did with I think Entertainment Weekly, he's mm-hmm. Spear and Fang have fought so many enemies that are just ridiculously powerful, but you just can't imagine a scenario where Spear goes up against this kind of situation and comes out unscathed. It's yeah. not, it doesn't happen. Yeah, it's not just a creature, it's something beyond man, so it, it didn't feel right if they beat them like they beat everything else. Yeah, it would be impossible for Spear to come out of that un, unscathed. It just would have been... Mm-hmm. Well, I have the same sense that, that this was way more powerful than what anything they'd had encountered before. And yeah. it, there wasn't the, this, even though they had established their prowess and their their uh, teamwork as warriors, it was just not enough to overcome this without some kind of sacrifice. Literally nothing they could do to hurt this thing. Yep. And from the Entertainment Weekly, uh, uh, article that Sketch brought up said um, if Gendy were to kill off Spear or compared to like Fang, um, he would probably get a lot of hate for killing off Fang. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He'd get he'd get in a lot of trouble for killing Fang. Yeah, he'd get away so more. Let, he let Fang live. <laughs> Spear, Spear had to go out in a blaze of glory. Literally. Yeah. Literally, yeah. Quite, quite literally. So. And this, this is the most fucking metal thing in this entire show. <laughs> once, once the chieftain has killed Spear, a hand rises out from the ground. He returns to his normal form, and screaming as he goes, is pulled back down. Yeah, <laughs> and it yep. happens in an instant. So it's fucking Vidar. Revenge. Now come back yeah. to hell. Yep, you did your job now. Your soul well, is mine for eternity. You, you know, I felt like we were kind of leading up to this moment because you see that even that when 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 Spear is is doing that artwork and when he's watching the dancing, when he's watching the other characters, when he's watching the dinosaur family, like he is is in a sense where he feels apart. And I think that this sacrifice was just a natural next step for his character because he maybe he just he didn't feel like there was a place for him in this in this world and he wanted to protect the things that he loved and so he did what he needed to do to make that happen and i i felt like even though it was really hard and it was awful and i i love spear as a character it definitely made sense as part of the narrative for him to make the sacrifice to save fang especially yeah, I mean, they draw a parallel with him protecting his tribe at the beginning of the episode to him, like, fighting the chieftain here. It's like protecting, you know, Mira's village, he's protecting Fang, you know, all his life, like, Spirus kind of fought to protect the people he cares about. And a protector. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He dies a protector. Yeah. He's but not hunted. before he makes a a little, a little spirit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which I was like questioning all the way through that. I was like, how, how, how did she get it up? <laughs> I, yeah, I can't imagine it'd be pleasurable uh, when your entire body is burned. Um, hey. To. You never know. I mean, if 
you're going to go out in a way. I feel Maybe like that's the way to go out. He and it only takes you know, with to a make bang. It yeah. <laughs> he does go out with a bang. <laughs> that is a funny but, uh, you know, wanna... the first time I watched the scene, I didn't know how comfortable I was with it. Because it's like Mira, like, you know, gets on top of him uh, and starts grinding against him. And I don't know. I didn't know, like, how how cognizant is Spear in this moment? Like, how much is he, like, really conscious? But then rewatching it again, I can I see in his eyes that, no, he, he's understanding what's going on. That he says her name. This is a mutual act of love. So yeah, I'm more comfortable with it, but it's he's like just... still a bold thing yeah. for Denny to pull to have them have sex when he's slowing dying from burns. That Gendy Dardakovsky, <laughs> he's such a feminist. <laughs> well, I mean, I, he, has them, he has mirror on top, so. They were gonna, they were gonna mate. I kind of saw that coming. I just didn't know how it was gonna yeah. be handled. So romantic tension between them uh, for the season. So like you got a sense of it. But. I think there was tenderness and love, and and yeah, it was an act of love. Yeah, they grew yeah, to care for each Absolutely. other. I did for about Spear at the end of the series because they did so much. He did so much for Mira in that entire second season. He went out of his way to travel thousands of miles, months, probably even years, just to protect Mira and her people. It's just right. a, a really great way to end that whole arc and storyline for Spear from, from the beginning of, when, of season one when his family is just destroyed by a bunch of dinosaurs. To, to the finale of season two where it, he gives life again to a child. It's, yeah. He's it's made a new really, family and his family's living on past him. His story is living on past him. Yeah. And there's a legacy. It's, it's, it's his legacy of family. You see them all living together, the three yeah. dinos and it's, little spirit, as I call her. Yeah. It's another passing the torch moment, much like how, you know, the his father, you know, passed away and then left him behind to continue to protect the people they cared yeah. about. You know, now we see in that flash forward that you know Spears' daughter will now take up that role too. So yeah. I think that's a good parallel to make there as well. I feel yep. a message here is that Mira acknowledged that Spear wanted to leave proof that he lived. Yeah. yeah. To honor that wish, she did the one thing she thought could make sure that his legacy lived on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Progeny is, I mean, that that is the, right. the ultimate form of, of legacy. And it is, um, and, and you know, when you put it that way, it's kind of beautiful. Um, and I, it is beautiful. I, yeah. I mean, leaving behind uh, offspring children is also leaving behind someone who can continue to tell your story. Yeah. And, and you know, one of the things that really struck me as I wane made my way through this series is that the primal theory, as they kind of put it in, the, in, season, in episode five, it's really depicted in varying ways. I mean, it's not just the cycle of survival and violence in each scenario, but also the primal need for companionship, the primal need to protect one's young and to protect one's loved ones. And and you see, for example, that Spear will go to any length 
to protect Fang and her eggs. And she'll do the same for him. And then that grows to having Mira go to any length. So the different ways in which the primal urge manifests in all these living creatures, um, I think that is really well demonstrated in in this season and in the overall series for going past just the violence and past the survival. Is really, literally had it all. Yeah. When, when we got to that last moment, and it became clear to me what she was doing, I was like, "Gendy Tartakovsky, you madman! <laughs> he, he can get away with you, anything, man! You funny, <laughs> dirty keep, boy! How how do you keep pushing the art form of animation so incredibly? How do you?" How do you keep pulling it <laughs> off, man? You don't miss. You just don't, don't fucking. You just mm-hmm. don't miss. You don't. You do not miss. And I do want to. Uh, and I, Gendy is a is a huge part of this project, but he's not the only person that made it what it is. They have a uh, writer, Derek Bachman, who worked on Symbionic Titan and Foster's Home and Samurai mm-hmm. Jack. They have. Uh, David Krentz, who is a paleo artist, the character designer, animator, storyboard artist for uh, a lot of dinosaur-related things. So he he was an excellent contributor to this, getting the, just these fantastic creature designs. Mm. And he was also a storyboard artist on it. And there were certainly plenty of other people. Like the... Just, Everything about this production is so good. Laplante voice so acting. Good. Yeah. Laplante mm. voice acting. The different languages they spoke, I wasn't clear if those were made up or those were based on real languages, but that was a really nice touch. That was a nice detail. I think a lot of them Yeah, I believe uh, from what yeah, I've uh, speaks Arabic, I think. Yeah. So it's based on some real languages across the world. Like, I think with the Vikings, they were talking uh, Nordic, I believe. Mm-hmm. Because we, yeah. I mean, for a lot, for some of these cultures, we don't actually know what their language sounded like. We only have approximations based off of like, Pete, there's a whole study devoted to this. So, so there was a, there was some of this was some, there was some creativity involved. And I think, again, that's just a really nice detail to, to make, like you're, you're essentially building up a whole culture in just a few scenes and we get a sense of that. And that was really, really clever. I like that. Like th- this was. So this was a massive scale production and it was so short. Ugh, it was so short, but it was so memorable and impactful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I want to actually jump back to something that Sam said that I really liked about the sound, um, you know, about how, how they're, they don't really speak in, in, they don't speak in the series. You know, even though Tartakovsky introduced sound into the very end of the first season and into the second season where they're speaking, he still finds, ways to perpetuate that silent narrative you know you see the expressions of pain and joy and confusion like that scene where Mira and Spear are being sneaky and trying to move Fang's eggs onto the boat you know it's a little comical but also you get what they're doing or the desperation that they express when they're trying to protect each other from the and protect the eggs you know, the real weight that the slavery has on them as they're fighting, it, it just all comes together perfectly through, through the expressive movements, um, the varying sounds and their facial and their faces. So like, I was afraid I was like, oh, don't change it by adding speaking parts. But it didn't 
change it. It was it was there, but it didn't it didn't take over. It was still a lot of silent narrative, and I I loved that part of it. A sound, shout out to uh, I think it's Tyler Bates who did the soundtrack to Primal. I'd have to look it up, but mm -hmm. uh, the music, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah the music, and what a great score. Uh, there's another person involved, Joanne Higginbottom. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Shout out to them because they do amazing job on the series. Yeah, you can you can listen to the soundtrack on YouTube officially. So, so it's also on Spotify. But yeah, it's just like I I think like it's brilliant how those two composers kind of came together and Gendy gave them the direction like here's what i want the mood to be like here's how i want it to sound here's all the little tiny details that even like if you pick it out from a crowd only like those who are most observant will probably know it and that's the detail that i i admire the most with any creative whoever makes any show is that you take the tiniest detail and you just put it in there just because you can yeah absolutely Great stuff. I feel like we're all on the uh, Primal fan club. I would, I would say that's a that's a positive, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> all four of us are in the Primal fan club. <laughs> I want more. Give me yeah. more. Yeah. Well, let's let's talk about the possibility of more. It it does seem like it's potentially going to get more. And Gendy mm -hmm. has talked about how he doesn't really want to continue this story with with uh, Mira's family, Spears' daughter. But he could be convinced to do so. And I, I would be interested in seeing that, but I would also be interested in seeing where else this, I, this anthology could go. Mm -hmm. Well, the theme, I think the theme can be ongoing. If he does, as as I as we read, decide to go through with an anthology, um, it doesn't have to follow these characters. I think I think we'd have to have have some level of investment, either that or it would just be him using different levels of expression and animation to portray this, this the primal theory that that's been kind of the overarching theme. So I, I'd be curious to know I, I, how, uh, what direction he'd want to take this. Like Gennady, Gennady's really, Gennady's really good at, sur at surprising us, I think. Like, like he did with Jack, you know, where Jack was, a lot of early Jack was anthology um, and episodic. And then it became overarching in certain aspects. So how can he turn, go from overarching to anthology and still keep fans interested? Um, you know, that I'm curious to see that. But well, I would see anything. As I said before, God, he could like animate like black and white stills and I would still fucking watch it. <laughs> I would watch anything he did at this stage. He is just so growing in talent and skill and just always giving me good stuff. So that's my take. <laughs> I kind of put it out onto Twitter, but if he continues to do Primal, I can't, and he does like a whole reset, like whole reset on the world and everything and new characters, I kind of want him to go into like a sci-fi thriller type direction. Kind Ooh, of yeah. away from like what Primal is, Pulp Fiction-y type stories to more grounded, like grounded-ish sci-fi with like horror elements. Cause I feel like that would work perfectly. The horror elements, in Primal are some of like the best moments in that show because it's so intense. You feel the fear in those characters and you're kind of like worried, 
that something might happen to them in that episode. And it's just brilliant. It's brilliant. And I yeah. hope he does something like that if it is to continue. Totally. There's a tremendous amount of possibility with sending it on some planet space. Yeah. <laughs> the final frontier. <laughs> sorry. Not sorry. Though <laughs> <laughs> so I do wonder... Well, you could certainly still make it so it's fairly uh, limited on dialogue. I mean, <laughs> for goodness sake, Scavengers is <laughs> exactly that. Barely, yep. barely any dialogue sci-fi. So, yeah. yeah. Good. I could see that. I, I, I would like that. Though, it would kind of feel like sci-fi is definitely his wheelhouse. He's, he's done a lot of sci-fi. Yep. Yep. But still, there's so, so much more he could explore. Oh, for sure, for sure. But that is just a possibility. I'm sure he has an idea planned out, and he'll run with that idea. I I do feel like that the Fang story is ended. I mean, the only, the only way I could see this being revisited is if it's there is an episode that is somehow like randomly during the time when they were just the two of them together or the three of them together, you know, uh, uh, like, like revisiting that. But, but I don't think anything post what that episode 10 had is, is really like worth exploring. I mean, sure. One could say like, let's see little spirit, but, but it's, it's not like, it's not like a need. I don't feel like as a fan, I need to see that story. You know, I just want to yeah. What what he what is in that brain of his? Like, what else are you going to come up with to blow our minds? <laughs> yeah, honestly, I, I want to see him continue to challenge that. himself and push the limits of what he can do in animation. You were seeing Sam. I, as much as I love Spear, uh, Bang, and Mira, I, that story's over. With. It's concluded. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel like he ended it pretty well, and yeah. it doesn't get renewed. I mean, that's a perfect ending. It's yeah. just. It's it's nice. It's a nice little bow. It's tied up. I do have some lingering questions, specifically with what episode five was. In fact, I wouldn't mind them actually exploring more. Of- <laughs> well, he did at least confirm that that does not take place in the past. Primal no. yeah. taking taking place in the past. Yeah, absolutely not in the future. It's it's Zombies. just it's just pulp. It's not going to be historically accurate, the past. No. (laughs) No. That's okay, though. We're here for the ride. (laughs) I think think it works in in the sense that, like, where they, the first island in the first season, it seemed like that was, like, the the land of the lost. Yeah. (laughs) And as they journeyed further, they found more and more civilizations. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm yeah. that. What a what a fun world though. There was so many things. We had like zombies, we had witches, we had like, yeah. like like civilized chimpanzees. We have like all kinds of things in oh, this man, world. The ape men. Yeah, the ape men, man, they were that was probably at that point the scariest thing we had seen. And then all of a sudden you see like enemies with weapons and like a new challenge. Oh, we had flying, like, pterodon, pterodactyls they had to fight. There was everything. It was great. What a journey. What a crazy world. Like, 
Like, and, and, and I love that he just was like, fuck it. I'm going to take anything I want and throw it up against these two and see how they deal with it. And I was along for the ride. I was like, yes, let's do it. Let's go, Spear. Let's go, Fang. We can do this. We can take them on. We're going to survive. Yo, shout out to Adult Swim for greening this production because it is risky to greenlit anything that is a new IP, especially something that is as artsy as Primal is. Yeah. Executive only likes to see numbers and money. Yeah. So um, it's like shout outs to the to the team at Adult Swim who are like, we respect you enough to make your art. Here you go. Here's a bag of money. Do what you want. Create your little art project and we'll promote it for you. And that's just incredible. I totally I don't see that these days. It's risk is a huge problem in the film and television industry where we're seeing more and more reboots. But Primal is Gendy's passion project, in my opinion, where he was just like, this is an idea I had for a long time, and I want to bring it to the full fruition. And Adult Swim is giving me that power to do it, and that's incredible. Yeah, original content, absolutely. There's nothing like it on television, so. There will never be anything like Primal, again, on television. It, I just don't think there ever will be. That is a safe bet. This was good. I feel like uh, that's a podcast sketch. What do you think? For sure. My, uh, my one remaining thought is thank you, Adult Swim, for coming to your senses and playing it on Toonami. Yes. <laughs> thank you, Adult Toonami. Swim. Thank you, Adult Swim. We really appreciate you showing this on Toonami. <laughs> hey, and I think it was a good compromise they came to. They showed it on Thursday as a premiere, and then they showed it as part of Toonami. And, yeah. and it still got fairly, they both got, like, varying ratings, but pretty high ratings, right? Yeah, I mean, Saturday ratings actually beat the Thursday readings for a lot of weeks. So yeah, a lot of people were watching on Six times out of ten. Yeah. Yeah. And who's to like, say if they were the same audience or not? It may have been a different audience. It may have been the same. There may have been just some crossover. So, you know, that actually adds another level to it, too. I would assume, like, sorry, Sketch. <laughs> uh, yeah, what, what were you saying, Sam? I, if I were to guess, like, I would assume Toonami viewers are more than likely going to tune in for something like Primal, comparatively to the regular Adult Swim audience who, on a Thursday night, are just like, where are the Rick and Morty reruns? Where's Family Guy? Where's <laughs> but that's the typical, like, normal viewership. Maybe there's some overlap between the two. I don't see the data. I don't know the data. But if I, that's just an assumption from what I can gather, considering Toonami viewers seem to really enjoy it. And that seems to be where it gained most of its audience. That and HBO Max, I think it did very well on that service. Yeah, I think the turnout in terms of ratings, I don't think was like that significantly far apart. But it did feel more kind of in tone with the Toonami lineup and the viewers of Toonami than it does on the regular Adult Swim schedule next to the rest of the Adult Swim lineup. And certainly, you know, it's a it's a better pairing with 
the Tanami programming than back in like 2020 when <laughs> Primal premieres were airing on the same night as Eric Andre's show at Dreamcore uh, premieres. Yeah, was, it, uh, was it the best? Not super tonally uh, connected there <laughs> to go from Primal to Eric Andre. <laughs> yeah, it didn't, it didn't really work out there. You were nah. to see something else, Sketch? Uh, no, I, I was just saying that I hope that it did well on HBO Max because that is yeah. an important metric now. That's, yeah, uh, and it's now on Roku. You can you can watch it on Roku if you miss. Yeah, you can any watch of it. it on the Roku channel in the Adult yeah. Swim section. Yeah, it also curiously has a bunch of Viz anime in it. <laughs> hey, on the Adult Swim section. Yeah, in the Adult oh, Swim wow. section. They also have other things that definitely didn't air on Adult Swim, like uh, Blazing Saddles. That's interesting. <laughs> Yeah. That is an excellent film. If you haven't seen it, you must watch. It is, it is very funny. It is very funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you certainly see. I mean, what? How, how can one even criticize Primal? It's so so dang good. I think, nothing, like, nothing at the is beginning, perfect. yeah. I think it's like, perfect. I, I, oh, sorry, it's sketch. Like I, I think for me, like uh, there, there is no such thing as a perfect anything. Mm-hmm. But if I'm looking at it as a whole, for the for, for the two seasons that I've seen of Primal, it is Gendy Tartakovsky's masterpiece. It mm-hmm. takes all the years that he has worked in the animation industry, and he has just perfected it to an exact T. It's just. It blows my mind how amazing it is, just how engaged I was. Because normally, whenever I watch television, I usually have my phone out, I'm doing other things, or I'm playing a game in the background. But with Primal, I was engaged from beginning to end. No phone, no nothing. I was just watching my television, wanting to know what happens in the episode. And that's how you know it's a great series. It keeps your attention. It's paced perfectly. Every little beat. It, it's yeah. just wonderful. It's a wonderful series. Yeah. And, and you I know, really the didn't first episode. Search for it and watch it. It's just, just watch it. It's great. You will yeah. love it. And if you go back to like the first episode and you watch it, you kind of have this what the fuck moment. Like, what am I watching? What is this? It's just sheer violence. And you're like, you're a little taken aback. But when you you get past that initial shock and you, you, you actually give yourself a moment to absorb, there's a story there and there's two characters here that are in the process of bonding in an unlikely uh, cooperative relationship, then suddenly you're really drawn in. Because honestly... I could not have, it, it speaks not just to the maturity of Tartakovsky and his, and where he is and his creative process, but also to the viewers, because in my classic Samurai Jack days, I could not have watched this and enjoyed this because I would have been put off by the violence, but I'm at a stage where I can appreciate beyond that and what this, what this, what was going on in this, you know, uh, through this medium, like then the storytelling, through the animation style, through like the expressiveness without the sound. Everything, everything. I wouldn't have been able to appreciate it because I would have been put off by the violence, but I can now. So to anyone who didn't finish the series, please go back. It is so worth it. And you'll be drawn in fairly. 
very quickly if you if you just start off watch the first three episodes and you don't even I'm, I'm not even sure this is like totally bingeable I feel like only when they have an arc it's bingeable but it's definitely something like you can watch one or two every other day or every day and get into it so so go back watch it tell us what you think we'd love to hear it unless you say it's crap and then I'm not interested <laughs> just kidding I can't imagine anyone saying that <laughs> Yeah, Primal, you know, beyond just the sheer action of it all, the intensity of it all, like, what makes it so strong is that at its core, like, every episode is centered around two really strongly defined characters and a very emotionally rich and interesting story. Uh, very emotionally mature stories that really do sit with you uh, that we definitely saw here in the second season but also in the first season we have several like really kind of uh, interesting and like poignant examples like I always think about the episode with like the the witches and like the one witch who you know ends up sympathizing with Spirit Fang because of her own like sense of loss that she had uh, with her daughter and like you have like some really powerful stories like that the kind of tragic story of like the you know dinosaur that gets zombified and just ends up like chasing Spear and Bang until it like just burns up in the lava and yeah it's just like just episode after after episode are just like these fantastic story concepts that like are not just like about like action pieces but also exploring kind of broader like emotional and thematic kind of ideas that yeah it's it's rarely thoughtfully done and just so powerfully done and beautifully done like this is such a gorgeous show and how it's animated how it's designed so it is truly like a masterpiece of uh, animated storytelling mm -hmm. well what more needs to be said no definitely check it out you don't have HBO Max, you can get the first season on Blu-ray, which I actually would highly recommend. You want to keep it long-term, because for no, with this Warner Brothers Discovery nonsense. Yeah, nothing is safe, even success. Sigh. So. <laughs> yeah. Sigh, sigh, sigh. Heavy sigh. Final sigh. Space was written off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a show with three seasons they got written off despite being a hit internationally. And it's like just such a an infuriating thing. But again, mm -hmm. like, he's, uh, this really new regime. something about uh, ownership of IPs in the U.S. Yeah. Mm -hmm. At least a way for the creators. All the power. Yeah. Creators need a way to be able to reclaim their their stories if the companies don't want to have anything to do with it anymore, rather than them being able to write it off and no one being able to do anything with it ever again. Mm hmm Joining many of the greats, like uh, XLR. Mm -hmm. Man, I'm, I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to wait for his next project, though, like... I'm kind of eager now. What what else you got for me, man? Give me well, more. He has, uh, yeah, he has. Warriors yeah. Eternal. That uh, uh, he in said. That Entertainment Weekly article. He said it's either going to launch later this year or early next year. Yeah. I. So, I'm probably so, 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 so wrong. 
Because <laughs> they're premiering the first episode at um, New York Comic Con. So I think yeah. the first episode, it's probably nearby. Because why air it right now if it's just going to be early 2023? I think, I think I, November is that. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they announced the release date for Unicorn at NYCC. Yeah, same. And also, like, I also kind of expect at that panel, Gendy kind of announces his next project outside of, like, his movie with Sony. But that's on Sony's term, or is it New Line? I, I don't know who's distributing it New at line. the moment. That one's New Line, yeah. Yeah, so I, I don't know other- how much of these these accolades that we give him and the other people involved in this project get through, but I really hope at some point all of this is able to be conveyed, like that us as fans, how much we appreciate and and what we think of what of this project and how it how it impacted us. Like like I I don't know, I just think there's such a separation sometimes between the artist and, and their work and, and the fans that watch it. But like, I really hope that he get the message comes through how we all loved it and how fantastic we thought it was. And all, and all the subtleties that are written into the show, the little, the little things here and there, the details, the emotions, all of that, that we're, we're listening, we're picking up on that. We appreciate all of it. I, I just hope that comes through. And if he, I know he's never going to listen to this, but if you are, we appreciate you, man. Thank you, Gendy Tartakovsky. We love you. Yeah. I mean, thank you for yeah. entertaining us with just amazing stories and shows for 25 years now, from Dexter's uh, to Primal and uh, wow. stuff yeah. beyond. It's just incredible <laughs> what she's been. Uh, yeah. From what I've read about Growing up um, in this Unicorn. Stuff. From what I've read about Unicorn Warriors Eternal, like I'm excited for it. It sounds yeah. awesome. So uh, whatever you are, you're up to next, Mr. Tartakovsky, I greatly look forward to your next work. It, I know it'll be amazing. Mm-hmm. Right. If you have thoughts on Primal, you can email us at podcast.tunamipaper.com. You can also email us about any other programming on tsunami or other things going on with the industry because oh boy there are so many things that's a topic for another podcast (laughs) (laughs) if not multiple podcasts uh you can follow us on facebook.com backslash tsunami faithful podcast and on twitter at tsunami podcast you can listen to the podcast on just about everything including itunes google music spotify and amazon you can find every episode of the podcast to stream online at soundcloud.com backslash Toonami Faithful Podcast. And you can get the latest news by following at Toonami News on Twitter and read the news, views, and reviews on ToonamiFaithful.com. All right, Sam, tell them where they can find you. You can find me on Twitter at SZUniverse, and you can also follow my work over at Toonami Squad. I am still writing something, and, well, hopefully I'll have it done soon. All right. And Lum, where can they find you? You can find me as Lumber Miyasha on Twitter and other places like Letterbox and Anish Revelation and it's forever there's a lone rolling out you can find me there under that name you can read my reviews and other repeats over on mongmatters.com 
And that's also where you can find the podcast I do, the Manga Arts Podcast, a podcast where we talk about manga, it's about a medium and as an industry, uh, covering a lot of great series and reviewing uh, new series that come out and, you know, interviewing people in the industry covering news. And you can find that on pretty much every podcast platform you can think of Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and whatnot. And you can follow us on Twitter at Manga underscore Mavericks. And you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Manga Mavericks. And I also do a show uh, focused on your Seiyatsura, the classics uh, sci-fi rom-com series from Gotakahashi, who Tanahi fans will know Seiyatsura to Yasha. And that's also on MangaRx.com. And you can also well, listen to that on every podcast platform you can think of, as well as Crossroads episodes in the MangaRx feed. And yeah, we're going to have a lot to talk about on that show with the new anime coming up uh, pretty soon here. So I'm very, very excited for that. And if you like the art I make, like the thumbnails I make for my podcast or the animation illustrations I make in general, you can find that stuff on my Instagram, at SetArtWorks. That is a hard act to follow, man. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) What am I supposed to do after that? Jesus. (laughs) Um, I am a uh, one-trick cat, so currently uh, you you can read editorials that I write for TanaiFaithful.com on the website, and you can follow me at Happy Crow Kitty, um, where I generally try to keep things positive and upbeat and tweet lots of cat things, artwork, and a lot of Toonami-related content. So if you're looking for more positivity on your feed in a time where maybe the internet isn't so positive, definitely follow me. I'll try to keep you on track with that. Sketch, where can they find you? You can always find me on Twitter at Sketch1984. But thank you all for listening each and every week about a podcast. We hope you enjoyed this conversation and others. And uh, we also welcome your feedback if you want to give it. And Paul was saying that he would really like to start doing more interviews. So... You get some feedback on that front, that would be good, though there are some people that we have in mind. Mm. Uh, more on that as it develops. But until next time, thank you for listening, and we're punching out. Peace. Peace. And there you have it. 